right, good morning. Praise God. He's good. He's good. Uh, last week, uh, my family and I were on vacation, and so you, it was it was good. We went down to Branson, and fun was had by all. Uh, no vehicle problems, so it was all it was all good. Um, you guys had a little break from our study through the book of Romans. Uh, Gordy, I got the chance to listen to his message uh, over the week, and uh, he did a great job encouraging us to take advantage of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is with us, and, he, and the Holy Spirit is in us. And it is the Holy Spirit that is the power that gives us new life and that gives us freedom from sin is the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts and gives us assurance of salvation. He teaches us. He gives us understanding. He guides us and he encourages us. And he will speak to us and give us encouragement to give to other people. If we'll listen and we hear, he wants to use us to build up each other. And he speaks to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God that came on Pentecost that caused the church to grow from a small group of believers in an upper room to a church of over, not church, but a, a, a group of believers, 3,000 strong in one day. He's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. And as believers, we know that he lives in us and he wants to work through us to continue to do good works. And so um, I just want to thank Gordy again for sharing that word of encouragement and to have our eyes open to look for what the Holy Spirit wants to do, to be sensitive to what he is speaking to us and how he wants to use us so that our lives uh, can show the fruit that we are children of God. And so relating uh, to, to the message today, we need to walk in faith, believing the Holy Spirit and what he says and obeying what he says when he speaks to us. Amen? All right, so today we're going to be jumping back into Romans. Like I said, we're going to be um, starting chapter 4. In the last two chapters, Paul said, um, Paul's been speaking kind of directly to the Jews that were in the church in Rome, and he's been breaking down the hope that they had in their ancestry and in the sacraments and in the sacrifices, and he's showing them that it is by grace through faith that they are made right in God's sight. And this was a huge change for these Jewish believers. They were proud to be God's chosen people, to be his nation that had been called out from among all the other nations, to be part of this covenant between Abraham and God that had been passed down from generation to generation. One of the main requirements that they needed to fulfill this covenant, actually the, the first requirement other than just obedience that, that Abraham showed when he obeyed the call, but the main requirement they needed to fulfill the covenant was that the males were to be circumcised. Now there's been a lot of um, thoughts out there as to why God chose circumcision to be the mark that he used to pass on the covenant. Uh, I'm not going to go in to what they all are. Some of them make sense to me. Some of them do not. Um, the whole thing seems a little strange to me, and it feels a little weird talking about sometimes. So I'm not going to go into all the details, but the main thing is that um, it doesn't really matter what God's reason was. God said that that is what he required. God said it. Circumcision is what he required, so Abraham, by faith, obeyed. 
So 24 years after God called Abram to leave his home and promised to make him a great nation and to bless him greatly, and 14 years after he had established his covenant with him, he established this this ceremony, this marking of circumcision. Now, I noted the, the number of years between his calling and between the covenant because Paul is going to emphasize that in Romans today um, as we read. He's going to show how the act of circumcision was not what made Abram righteous, that he was considered righteous before that was established. Um, but it was, it was his faith that was demonstrated by his obedience to God that resulted in God imputing righteousness to him. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to read the account of God establishing circumcision as the covenant that God required. And that, that's found in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. So we're going to read a big chunk here, so bear with me. It says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all of your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants much must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to the members of your family, but also to your servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the, the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And being circumcised was part of entering into that covenant, and it was part of passing it on from generation to generation. And not being circumcised was to be cut off from the covenant family. It was considered breaking the covenant with El Shaddai, God Almighty. That seems like a big deal to be cut off from the covenant that you made with El Shaddai, God Almighty. 
And it was a big deal. And it would have remained a big deal if it were not for Jesus, who made a new covenant with us, a covenant that we remembered and we celebrated just a moment ago as we joined in communion together. Jesus said at the Last Supper, supper he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. He made a new covenant. The old covenant requirements of circumcision and animal sacrifice were replaced and satisfied by Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And now reading from Colossians 2.11, it says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away uh, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And verse 12 says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The New King James says that we were raised with him through faith. And faith and trusting in God is the main focus of this chapter. Abraham is considered the, the father of faith. And so that's what we're really going to be digging into today. So if you imagine for a second, the Jewish believers, um, so this was written as a letter to the, to the believers in Rome. And so you're one of these Jewish believers. You've received this letter. You've just finished reading through chapters 1, 2, and 3, where Paul has stripped away what they believed was the basis of their connection with God through their lineage and through the law. They, they felt like the law and some of these things that they did, that was their primary connection to Abraham, their father. Um, you may remember that Paul said to them back in, in chapter 2, he said, you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. And in chapter 3, he said, well, then should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? And he said, No. Not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And then later in chapter 3, he said, can we, speaking of the Jews, he said, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. And Paul teaches them in chapter 4 that it is faith that connects them to Abraham. It's faith that connects them to Abraham as their father and to the promises that were given to him and shows them how the promises were given not by the works of the law, but were made before the law was even given. Even before the first requirement was given, righteousness was given through faith. They are still children of Abraham, but his true children are children of faith. Um, this is a pivotal chapter in the letter because, um, like I, I mentioned, he was really talking a lot to the Jews prior to this, um, but now he's, he's connecting the Jewish believers to Abraham through faith, and he's also going to connect the non-Jewish believers to Abraham through faith. And so by the time we get to the end of the chapter, he's drawn us together into one body in Christ. And so uh, as we move forward into chapter 5 and 6, we're going to have him speaking more directly to believers in general rather than to Jewish believers. So this is a, a pivotal chapter and kind of looking forward to getting into that. We don't have to try and look through it through the eyes of the Jews, but we can kind of hear it more directly to ourselves. 
So let's go ahead and dig into the next section of Romans, starting at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Oftentimes we can, uh, we can look at the Old Testament and we can think of the Israelites' relationship with God and, and, how it, and, and kind of think of it all being about works. And the truth is that the works that were given to them in the Old Testament were given for the advantage of the Israelites. Uh, they were given to, to paint a picture. They were, they were given to, to, to be a reminder of the promises that God had for them. And it was also an opportunity for them to exercise their faith, to show that they had faith in their obedience to the works that God had prescribed for them to do. The origin of God's approval of Abraham was his faith. It was his faith that caused God to, uh, to, to count him as righteous. But in order for Abraham to demonstrate his faith, something needed to be required of him. And so Abraham, he was called by God. He was given promises, very lofty promises that would be hard for, for somebody to just believe. If I told you that you were going to become a, a father of nations and you would maybe question me a little bit, you may not believe that what I was saying was true. Um, there were lofty promises, and, and it was a big call to, to uproot his family. So he was called, um, and he was given this, this opportunity to demonstrate his faith, and he did. He believed, and he obeyed. For the Jews, circumcision, participating, participating in festivals, um, giving their offerings that, that from their crops and from their herds was their way of trusting that God was going to bless them. It was a way of them um, showing faith, expressing faith. And faith, and that faith would show them true children of Abraham. It was by the faith uh, acted out by these, by fulfilling these works that they were really shown, shown as true children of Abraham. It wasn't the fact that they were circumcised. It was the fact that they believed and they obeyed. So they were his spiritual children, not just his biological descendants. In verse 3, it said, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And what was it that Abraham or Abram as he was known when God first called him, what was it that he believed? So Abram um, was first called by God in Genesis chapter 12 at the age of 75. He was called to uproot his whole family, take everything that he had, and go. Where? Go where? That's, that's the question that he is, he's probably pondering in the back of his mind, where is it I'm supposed to go? Because God just said, I want you to leave where you're at. He didn't tell him where he was going. He just told him he needed to leave and that he would show him the place that he was going to go. So um, after he, he called him to to go. Then in verse two, he gave him this first promise, a promise that he was going to repeat several times over the years. He said in Genesis 
12 verses 2 and 3, he said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All of the families on earth will be blessed through you. God promised to make Abram into a great nation. Now that required him to have kids. He was going to make him into a great nation. He didn't say you're going to conquer a nation, but you're going to, he was going to make him into a great nation that required him to have kids, which he did not have at this point. So he had no kids. Now things were a little different back then. I, I, I just the way my brain works, I try and figure out, you know, well, what were the likelihoods of him having kids at this time? And so anyways, and, and things were a little different back then. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, people lived a lot longer. I mean, Abram wouldn't die till he was 175. His dad lived to be 205. His wife was going to live to be 127. Uh, Abram's dad actually didn't have his sons until he was 70. And so he was up there in age. I don't know how old his wife was at the time. And that's, you know, biologically more a determining factor. Um, but it still seemed, even if, even if they were maybe still within a window at that particular time at 75 and 64, or, or I think it was something like that. Um, you know, they had been married for 35 years and she's not gotten pregnant yet. So it, it seemed pretty clear that she was not going to have any kids. Um, but Abraham, hearing from God, believed. He packed up all of his things. Everything he owned, he left, not knowing where he was going to go and start a family that before God made this promise to him, he had probably given up all hope of having. He probably didn't, didn't even believe he was going to have a small family, let alone become a great nation. But he believed God, packed up everything, and he went. Now, we fast forward 11 years. Um, Abraham's now 86, and his wife is 75. Actually, I think I might have been wrong. I think the 35 years might have been up to, up to this point. Um, but regardless, plenty of time to have conceived before now. Um, over those years, uh, he had experienced the blessing of the Lord. So he, for 11 years, he'd been called out. He had traveled to this new land. Um, he'd experienced protection. He's had experienced blessing. His, his wealth was overflowing. Um, he'd, he'd had God two more times that were, at least two more times that were recorded, God spoke to him and renewed that promise to him, reminded him of the promise. But there was no, still no evidence of this nation, no, no evidence, no children. So in Genesis 15, uh, God speaks to Abram, and Abram voices this concern to him about not, not having any children yet and how all of, his, all of his stuff, all of his blessing is going to go to a servant. And so when he makes this concern, you know, voices this concern to God, like, hey, you know, like what good are these blessings without a descendant? And God renews the promise again, but this time he takes him outside and he has him look up at the sky and he says, your descendants are going to be more than you can count. Like trying to count the stars in the sky are going to be your descendants. And, uh, and this is where Abraham believed. He heard God say this at 75 years old after many years, after 35 years of, of not being able to get pregnant, he believed and God counted it as righteous. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith.
Abraham believed God. Even in his and his wife's old age, even though they've been trying to conceive probably from the time they were married, he believed. That is what faith looks like. But that, that wasn't even the end of it. Uh, that wasn't even near the end of the test that Abraham, Abram would face in his life. Um, and, he, and through those tests, he definitely had his ups and downs. I mean, this was one of those instances where he, he, didn't, he didn't waver in his faith, but he's like, God, what is going on? Like, I, I know what you promised. Like, when is this going to happen? Are you, are you, did you change your mind? Or is it still your promise? Um, but when push came to shove, shove, Abraham believed. No matter what it was, no matter how challenging it was, Abraham believed. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now picking up back in Romans, uh, going to Romans 4, verse 4 through 8. It says, when people work for their wages, oh, sorry, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working. He said, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, he is quoting from Psalms 32 when he says this. And, and why is David in Psalms 32 expressing such joy in this psalm? We're going to go ahead and look at the next two verses, three and four in Psalms. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David had earned the wage of death. He had sinned. He, he had a debt that he, he couldn't pay, but when he repented, God cleared his record of sin. And he was experiencing the joy of being made right in the sight of God. And that is the good news that we have today. That's what we celebrate, is that we have a way to be made right in the sight of God. We all have a sin past. We all have a debt. We all were, were experiencing the wages of sin. But through Christ, it was paid in full. And we have been put in right standing with our loving creator. We are in right relationship with him. We are restored to our purpose and we are heaven bound. We have a new life, an eternal life. Um, verse 11, if we jump ahead in Psalms 32 to verse 11, he says, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All of you who obey him, shout for joy all you whose hearts are pure. We get, to, we get to stand before God, hearts pure, hearts washed clean, righteous in the sight of God, um, wearing Christ's righteousness as our own. And that is why he rejoices. That's why he rejoices. 
He rejoices. He writes a song. I feel like we need a song right now. We're, we're not to that point in the service. We're only about halfway done. So we're not going didn't, to... I didn't forget to call the worship team up. We're, we're only about halfway done. Um, for those of you who just checked your watch, we're a little bit over halfway done. So... Um, uh, if you've been waiting for us to hit this this pivot point, I, point, I said that uh, that this is a pivotal chapter. Um, so there's a pivot point in here where Paul begins to speak more directly to us. This is the point where where he starts to, where it starts to pivot, or we start to get joined into the conversation. Um, this is where uh, we Gentiles get united in one faith with the Jews, a faith that began with Abraham's belief in God's promises that was passed on through the generations. Um, until the fulfillment of the promise would come that all nations on earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham, just as God promised. Okay, so this is where we're headed. Um, Romans 4, 9 through 12 says, Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. In fact, it was 14 years after God had counted him righteous in chapter 15, verse 6 of Genesis, that he was circumcised at the age of 99. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abram, Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So, you may be asking yourself, how is this possible? Didn't we read earlier that any male that was not circumcised would be cut off from the covenant? It'd be cut off from the family of the covenant, cut off from the promises? Yes, but, but Jesus... Yes, but Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the covenant, and all the promises were given to him. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the covenant, and all the promises were given to him. And as we read earlier, he made a new covenant established in his own blood. It is a free gift of God's grace, so that through Jesus, who came through Abraham, all families of the earth can be blessed. We have been brought into the promises of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, Galatians 3, uh, Paul explains this a little bit further in uh, verses 15 and 16. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So the Hebrew word that's used um, 
back in Genesis that is is referring to this this word for child. Um, it is a word that would be called a collective singular noun. Now, I am not a big grammar guy, but in reading, basically the what that means is that if you were talking about a nation, if you're reading this verse with a thought of a nation, the nation is singular, but it's a collective. It's a collection of all the people in the nation. So it's a collective singular noun. But if you're reading this with Jesus in mind, Jesus is the singular, but we are in Christ. We are the multitude in Christ. It is a collective singular. We in Christ are heir to the promises. The promise was given to Christ, and we are in Christ. Therefore, we are heir to those same promises. He is singular, but we as Christians are alive in him, and he is alive in us. He is the promised Seed. He's the child of Abraham. Moving on in Romans uh, to verse 13 through 17, says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. And think about Adam and Eve. They had one rule. <laughs> but there was a rule and they broke it. We just, as humans, we, we're not capable <laughs> of, of walking the straight line. Um, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, uh, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture mean, uh, means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings back, who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. So this happened because Abram believed in the God who brings the dead back to life, who creates new things out of nothing. We are certain to receive the promises if we have a faith like Abraham. That, that last sentence there, if we have a faith like that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We already talked about Abraham's faith before Isaac was born. But now it seems Paul may be pointing uh, ahead to Abraham after Isaac was born and how he demonstrated his faith. He says that Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Now, if you remember the history of Abraham, um, God asked him after Isaac was born and, and was a child, at some point in his, his youth, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. But even though God told him to do this, Abraham still believed that Isaac was the son that God was going to use to fulfill the covenant. In Genesis 22, um, right as Abraham is about to go up the mountain, to sacrifice Isaac, he says to his servants, he says, stay here with the donkey 
Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. And then we will come right back. We will come right back. Abraham believed that even if he killed his son, God could restore him back to life. He knew that God promised that his descendants would come through Isaac. That couldn't happen if he's dead. So if God's asking him to kill him, there's only one thing that could happen. God's going to bring him back to life. So he believed that God could restore him to life. And what a picture that is for us and what we're supposed to believe or what we do believe. We, we, we've been studying Romans Road. In Romans 10, verse 9, we read, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are to have faith like Abraham, believing that God is able to bring the dead back to life and create new out of nothing. We believe that in death on the cross, Jesus died for our sins, paid for our punishment. We believe that he died, and we believe that God raised him back to life. We believe that though we were born spiritually dead, we didn't have an eternal life. We, were, we had nothing to really offer. But we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God created in us a new creation. Out of nothing, he created something new and eternal so that we can have eternal life with him. In verse 16, we read, Abraham is the father of all who believe. And going back to Galatians chapter 3, Paul expands on what he means by that. What does it mean that he's the father of all who believe? Galatians 3, 6 through 7 says, In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And it says, The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. And then jumping ahead to verse 26, he says, he says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. I'm going to read 27 again. And all of you have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We'd all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Uh, we'd all been rescued by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And in baptism... We put aside our old identity and we put on Christ. So that we put him on like, like putting on new clothes. We put on Christ. Let them marinate for a second. We put aside our old identity and we put on Christ. Abraham and his descendants were connected in a covenant with God that was marked by circumcision. It was a sign of their faith. It was a sign of their identity as children of God. Baptism is a sign of our faith. It's our new identity in Christ. 
Abraham's new identity started when he left his home country. I don't know if you know this, um, but the, the city that he grew up in and also the city that his, his father moved him to um, shortly before he, he passed away, both of those cities were hubs uh, of worship to a moon god. Um, it was, it was the, the name of the moon god was actually Sin. S-I-N was, was the name of the god that he worshipped. Him and his father were, were practicing, participating in worship. They, they, they moved from one hub and they traveled because his father was actually heading to Canaan, but for some reason um, paused and stopped as he got to another city that was a worship center for the same God that they had come from. And they stopped and they were living in worship of sin. When, uh, but God called them. He called Abraham to leave that behind, to walk away from his identity, to walk away from sin, and that he had a new promise for him. He had life for him. He had um, a relationship to have with him. He, he had a, an eternal promise to give him, an eternal covenant that he wanted to make with him. God also called us, when we accepted Jesus, to leave sin behind to take on a new identity, to put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Um, school just started. Uh, got a few kids in here, but maybe some of you adults remember uh, first days of school, first week of school. Uh, a lot of kids would come to school wearing new clothes. Um, when you looked around, you were likely to see somebody with a sticker still on the on the pant leg or a tag that didn't get removed somewhere because it was the first time they were wearing it. But even without the stickers, without the tags still on, you could tell. I mean, the clothes just popped. You know, the, the, the whites were bright white. The, the, the graphics on the front of the T-shirt weren't all, all cracked up. Like everything looked nice. And, and the kids wearing it. Oh, I, I should mention, the pants didn't have holes in the knees. Because this was, this was back 30 years ago when you bought them that way, when, when they actually looked new, right? So, but uh, the kids that were wearing the new clothes, and you, and, you, and you notice this more if you were not one of the people wearing the brand new clothes for the whole week. Like Some people seem like they got a wardrobe that lasted them a month. Um, but, but anyways, it just it stood out, and you could tell that the kids felt good. They felt confident. They felt good about what they were wearing. They felt good about what they had on. Are we wearing Jesus just on the inside, or have we put him on like new clothes? Are we displaying the joy that David talked about? Do we believe and feel good about having on Christ in a way that the world can see? Because if we have faith like Abraham, we are leaving that old identity behind. We're leaving the old identity behind and we're walking in faith. And we find that in faith, we receive forgiveness. All of that sin, all of that, that weight that David was feeling when he wrote that psalm is taken away. We find forgiveness and we find right standing with God and we say, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. And if that doesn't make you happy, 
You need to go back and start back at the beginning of Romans and read through verses 1, 2, and 3 because the wages of sin is death. We were in sin. We had, we, we were, we, our wages were death. Our identity was death. But now, but now, if you remember in chapter 3, we hit a, but now, God has made a way for us to be made right with him. And that way is by faith, and Abraham is a model to us of what that faith looks like. Abraham is an example for us because he showed us that even when we could not see a way, even when he didn't see a way, even when there was no human way, that doesn't mean that God can't make a way. We're going to close with uh, the last section of Romans, sorry, in verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that is how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing. Sarah was, this is after 50 years of marriage, Sarah still hadn't had a baby. So he considered Sarah's womb was as good as dead, but Abraham never wavered in believing. God, he never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. He was handed over to die because of our sin and he raised he was raised to life to make us right with God. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That is why we're here today. That is why we're we're spending our time um, worshiping him, why we're spending our time trying to learn more about him, why we're encouraging each other in our faith so that we will wear Christ on the outside like new clothes displayed for the world to see so that all nations can be blessed through him. In Christ, we've been brought out of sin, restored to new life, and oh, the joy that we have in him. Lord, we thank you that you, by your grace, by your mercy, being rich in mercy, you reached out to us, Lord, not willing to, not willing to let us just suffer the wages of sin. Lord, we were, we were made different from the rest of creation. We were created in your image, created for a purpose, to be in relationship with you, to reflect back glory to you, Lord God. And you loved us. You loved us and you chose to restore us, not to give up on, on your creation, not to give up on, on your plan, not to give up on the people that you created to be one with you, to be united with you, Lord. And you made a way for us, Lord. Let us remember, let us wake up every day putting on Christ 
as new clothes, rejoicing, saying, as David did, Oh, what joy for those whose descendants are forgiven and whose sins are put out of sight. Oh, what joy we have. We have joy in the Lord. We have strength in any, any circumstance, any situation. Uh, Lord, I thank you. Thank you. I've been reminded lately of, of uh, Psalms 23. And just, you know, sometimes people read that psalm with a very, I don't know, just just the tone that they read is very kind of soft and, and kind of, um, I don't know, weak. I don't know if that's, I don't know how to say it, but but when I read Psalms 23, it is a, it is a psalm where, where David is declaring confidence and strength even before his enemy, that the, the Lord is with him. He says, um, I'm struggling you know, on the spot I, when I try to think of the first word. First word, anyone? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Right? He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When he says that, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. He was not, this was not a quiet, like, um, anxious prayer. This was a confident, faith-filled pr- song declaring that, yea, I walk through the valley of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He sees the power and the strength in the promises of God, and he has faith in them. He is not afraid. He's not afraid. He's confident. He's going to wear his identity in God on the outside. And he's going to walk through whatever life has for him with confidence, whether he understands what's going to happen or not. He trusts in God. Amen? Amen. So let's go with that same attitude in mind. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that Gordy spoke to us about last week. And we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ, who was the heir of the promise. And in him, we are heirs of that same promise and have a future forever with him. And as we live for him, we are bringing glory to God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Amen? Amen. Amen.